0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the TeacherCast podcast. You are listening to the podcast that brings you the best in educational technology, right from the educators themselves. I'm thrilled today that you have decided to make TeacherCast your home for your professional development. My name is Jeff Bradbury, and welcome to the TeacherCast podcast episode 110. Thank you so much for joining us today. We have a great show for you. You can, of course, contact us and participate in the show each and every week at teachercast.net. You can, of course, leave us a voicemail at teachercast.net slash voicemail, email us at feedback at teachercast.net, or subscribing to our many audio and video channels over at teachercast.net slash iTunes and teachercast.net slash YouTube. My guest today is Dr. Jeffrey Bennett, an astronomer and educator from Colorado who has Written some amazing books who are right now floating over top of us in the International Space Station to talk about all of these great accomplishments. I want to bring on Dr. Jeffrey Bennett. Dr. Bennett, how are you today? Thank you so much for joining us on Teachercast. I'm great, Jeff. Thank you very much for having me on here. Talk to us a little bit about yourself. You're an astronomer and a professor, aren't you?
1: Um I was a, a professor I taught at the University of Colorado for many, many years. Now I'm a full-time writer and speaker. So I don't get to teach my own courses anymore, which is unfortunate since I love doing that, but I'm plenty busy.
0: And you happen to write some amazing books about a dog, I believe, and those books are now floating on the International Space Station. Talk, talk to us a little bit about those.
1: Well, about uh, I always wanted to write books for kids. I used to teach uh, at the elementary level. In fact, during my undergraduate years, I was working as an aide in elementary school, and then I ran a summer school for elementary and middle school kids. And about 15 years ago, we had a dog, a Rottweiler, named Max, and we were out walking with him and my little baby son. And the idea just hit me that maybe a good way to get kids inspired about science and education would be to write about my dog traveling out into space. And through uh, some good fortune... An astronaut named Alvin Drew and a woman named Patricia Tribe, who was the director of education at the Johnson Space Center, found out about my books and decided they wanted to have books read from space and decided to use mine. And Alvin read the uh, Max Goes to the Moon from from, from the last mission of the Space Shuttle Discovery in 2011 using a PDF file, and because of that success, they decided to actually launch physical books to the International Space Station So they sent up all five that I have in my set here. um, And they were launched in January, and they are still orbiting up there at 28,000 kilometers per hour, going over our head every, uh, every 90 minutes. And they've all been read in English now, they've been read in Japanese, they're being read in German, and we're hoping to get some additional languages as well. And all of these will be posted on the web, free for any teacher, or anybody any place in the world to make use of
0: you know we think of a lot of things that are up there in space floating around but a children's library has never been on my mind to be put up there that that's a really a great accomplishment how did how did the whole process start here as far as getting these books up i mean was it a lot of um you know get a lot of red tape on there or or how, how did how did they convince nasa to do all this
1: You know, remarkably, they managed to do it pretty easily, and that was really thanks to the uh, connections that Patricia Tribe and Alvin Drew had. And Alvin, being the astronaut, they have a little bit of their own time when they're up in space. And so when he said he wanted to read books from space, they said, yeah, if you can find the time, go for it. So he and a couple of his crewmates read some books during that discovery mission. And then based on that, the uh, folks from the International Space Station, a group called CASIS, the Center for the Advancement of Science in Space, They operate the space station as a research lab for the United States. And they said, yeah, let's continue this program because we have a mission of educational outreach inspiring the next generation of kids. And what better way to get kids inspired about science than to have astronauts reading to them from orbit? It's kind of an exciting idea. And so there's a website here that I urge
0: people to go to. It's called Storytime from Space. Talk to us a little bit about what we can find here.
1: Well, at the moment, what you'll find on storytimefromspace.com is one complete video, which is the video of um, Mike Hopkins reading uh, Max Goes to the Space Station. And you will also find a few few additional pieces of background information about the program. We have all the rest of the videos, but they still need to go through post-processing And eventually, we hope to put on lots of free curriculum materials so that teachers will not only be able to show a video, but will also then be able to create lessons that will tie in with the next generation science standards and really help them get their kids working in both science and in literacy and hopefully in other subjects as well. So talk to us a little bit about that curriculum,
0: because I noticed, you you know, like you said, this is going to be complete science integration
1: here. Tell us what's involved in that curriculum. Well, a lot of it we don't know yet because we haven't developed most of it. But in all of my books, all of the books have activities in the back of the book. And the goal with those activities is to not be just strict science or strict literacy, but to combine both. So we have various types of writing projects, art projects, math projects, and other things so that you can be taking the science and integrating it across the entire curriculum and thereby hopefully drawing in students with many different interests and many different backgrounds.
0: And what is the goal for a project like this?
1: (laughs) Um, You know, we like to think big. So the goal is, uh, well, I'll tell you my favorite quotation, which comes from H.G. Wells back in 1920 from one of his books. And he said, human history is more and more a race between education and catastrophe. And I think any teacher understands that quote immediately and knows why they're doing what they're doing is because as teachers, we're trying to win that race between education and catastrophe. And our goal with this program, Storytime from Space, is to help all of us win that race. Too many of our kids today just aren't that excited about learning and moving forward. And I think part of the reason they're not that excited is because we don't have these grand things going on like Apollo and so on that we did have. Back when I was a kid mm-hmm. and the space station is the closest we get to that at the moment. And hopefully that'll leap us forward to other grand things. But by reading from the space station, by getting the kids excited this way, I'm hoping that will really inspire them and uh, make some headway on that race.
0: Story time from space.com. Again, check it out. The, the video up there of the astronaut, he's in the, uh, he's, he-
1: the well, cupola
0: uh, right exactly the room with the view and, and the room with the view that's, i was trying to come up with that word and, and so he's sitting there floating well he's floating around and he's reading the book and behind him you see the earth passing by it's just breathtaking to look at and and you're right i mean we've got kids coming in right now that don't have those you know i want to put a man on the moon or i want to go here we we really kind of we, we need something to kick uh, students interest in the space station or in in, in the space uh curriculum
1: yeah, and not just students, the, the teachers, the parents, the public. You know, we have plenty of problems here on Earth, and people a lot of times will ask me, shouldn't we be spending all our money and resources on solving the problems here on Earth first? And my answer to that is, you know, if you have a teenager, say, I have a couple of them, and they are misbehaving, you don't just lock them in their rooms until they behave better. You have to inspire them to have a reason that they want to behave in the ways that you would like to see them. Act, And the same thing with the human race. We need to have the inspiration of if we solve our problems here on the ground, what's our future look like? And I think that, you know, the space program gives us that and hopefully this program will really inspire kids to want to make this world a better place because they'll see what the future can hold
0: and so if you're looking to get more information about the great videos here that we're talking about you can of course check out storytimefromspace.com or also follow you guys on twitter at storytime space correct now talk to us about one of your other adventures tell us a little bit about something called big kid science
1: well big kid science is the uh, little publishing venture that i'm using to put out these books my uh, first published writing was actually college textbooks, which I still write. And they're what occupy 90% of my time working on my textbooks and the websites that go with that. So the children's stuff is kind of a hobby for me. And if back when I was first came up with the idea of sending my dog into space, I was talking to some of my editors there at uh, Pearson Education. And one of the editors got very excited about it. A designer got very excited about it. And they said, let's just do it ourselves instead of going out through the traditional publishing world where maybe people will try to change this vision on us because we knew we were doing something fairly different. And if you don't mind, I'll just show you very briefly what I mean by that, which is that when you open any of my books, you'll see that you've got the story and the art, but then on the side of the page is what we call the big kid boxes. And the big kid boxes actually explain the detailed science behind the story so we're really mixing the science and the literacy in a way that we don't think other people had done before so these folks said let's just do it and um, they helped me start this company and so we've been putting out these books as big kid science and our our goal is to just keep doing that and use it to uh, help kids get inspired about the future and what are the
0: age levels or grade levels would you think that these books would be appropriate for
1: You know, we've been very pleased with that. We wanted to hit a wide range of ages, and the National Science Teachers Association actually gave us recommendations on all these books for kindergarten through eighth grade. So it's a very wide range. And in fact, it goes down below kindergarten because I've read these books with preschoolers many times. The story, the dog in space, the art, that will inspire any child of pretty much any age. Then the science is quite sophisticated on the sides of the pages, so you can keep using it up into middle school. And in fact, I have a number of uh, high school teachers who told me, have told me they use the books with their high school students as well because the science is plenty sophisticated for them.
0: And, you know, we just in New Jersey had our big teachers convention. And one of the big themes of this convention was STEM education. And I know that you have a lot to talk about when it comes to STEM education. Of course, you know, putting together the science, the technology, the engineering, the math, Why is it important for teachers and students to dive into STEM education?
1: Well, there's a couple of reasons it's important. On one level, the STEM jobs are the jobs that are in the highest demand today from employers, and they tend to be the highest paying jobs also. So I think we owe it to all of our young students, especially students who come from disadvantaged backgrounds, to make sure that they stay on a track where they at least have the option when they get to college of pursuing a major in a STEM field, because statistically, that gives them the best chance of having a high income and easy employment opportunities. The more general reason for STEM education is that you can't find anything in our modern society that doesn't rely, at least somewhat, behind the scenes on science, technology, mathematics. And therefore, as a citizen, unless you understand something about all of these topics, You really can't participate um, fully in our modern society. So I think everyone, even if they're not a STEM major or in a STEM career, needs to be more educated about these fields.
0: What ways can parents help out with this? I mean, I know some of these STEM activities could be big, you know, and some of these STEM activities can be as simple as putting a marshmallow on some pieces of, uh, you know, dried spaghetti and building an architect structure. What can parents do to kind of help their students get into these uh, into these uh, avenues?
1: Well, parents and teachers can certainly help their kids a lot by performing activities with them, engaging with them. And in fact, one of the goals in my books, with those boxes on the sides of the page, is to encourage parents to have a dialogue with their kids. So, with, if the kid is reading the story or having the story read to them, and there is a science concept going on behind the scenes there. The child might say, well, why did that happen? And there on the side of the page, the parent can see why it happened, the answer, and explain it to them and talk about it and do the activities. But I'll also mention, uh, I think a very, very important thing is to make kids believe that they can succeed in these fields. Too many people don't think they can. I start, um, you know, I also have a couple of big kid science books for grown-ups. One of them, Math for Life here. I start every chapter with a multiple choice question. And in the first chapter, I start with a question of running into a very successful person, asking what you're most likely to hear her say. And your choices are things like, I don't know how to read, I can't think logically, or I'm bad at math. And the strange thing in our society is that otherwise successful people will say that. They'll say, I'm bad at math or I'm bad at science. And that's a terrible, terrible message to send to your children because then they think it's okay to be that way too. So what I'd really like to ask every parent and every teacher in the United States to do is make a promise never, ever again to say, I'm bad at math or science. Instead, say... I would really like to know more about math and science. I find them really interesting, and so should you, and get their children thinking about how they can succeed in these areas.
0: You know, you guys were wonderful enough to send me some preview copies of these books, and one of your books I want you to talk a little bit about here. It's called On Teaching Science, Principles and Strategies That Every Educator Should Know. Talk to us a little bit about that book, but explain to us why is it important for the music teacher to read that and the English teacher to read that, not just the science teachers?
1: Well, that book is actually an outgrowth of a talk that I've been doing uh, mostly at colleges for the past 20 years associated with my textbooks writing. So because I write textbooks that are used, they often have me come and talk to them about my teaching philosophy. And for a long time, people asked me if I had anything written up on it, and I didn't. So I finally got around to a writing this little book on teaching science, but it's more than just science. It's principles of teaching in general. So I think for all teachers, by seeing the way that we get kids to be inspired about science and what it takes to succeed in that, they can then help with that also. Because remember, the kids who are going to grow up to be our scientists or every other person who's not going to be a scientist but needs to grow up knowing something about science in order to be a citizen in this very technical society. Those are the kids who are in music class and they're in art class. So the music teachers, the art teachers, the PE teachers, they may think they're not part of the science teaching, but they really are because the kids in their classes are needing to learn this material as well.
0: And why is it important for these English teachers to learn a little bit about science? Is it, is it more empathetic as far as some of the things that their students need to go through? Or Is it just time that every teacher start to learn that STEM is one word, it's not four different letters?
1: Well, I think that it's important on on a few different levels. For one thing, when you talk about the English teacher, for example, it's really kind of hard these days to find books to read that don't have at least some component of what we might call STEM involved in them. So just in terms of understanding what you read in the movies, I just went to see the new movie Interstellar Mm -hmm. this weekend. And, uh, you know, if you don't understand a little bit of the science back there, a lot of that movie is going to be lost on you. So just from the standpoint of understanding cultural things, you need to know about the science. But I think the most important part is that that English teacher also needs to understand the science for himself or herself because you're voting on issues that involve science. You're making decisions about issues that involve science, technology, math, engineering. And you need it. That means your students are going to need it, too.
0: Talking to Dr. Jeffrey Bennett, uh, an astronomer here, and uh, let me ask you a little bit about astronomy and technology. There's a lot of great applications that are out there for mobile devices that kids are picking up, and I wanted to get a little bit of advice from you. What are some good pieces of technology or some apps that you're using as an astronomer that maybe the elementary, middle school kid can pick up and start to enjoy?
1: Well, my favorite apps are the ones that let you uh, go out and identify the constellations and the planets and so on in the night sky. Because if you haven't spent some time learning those, then you go out and the sky is very pretty, but it's not familiar. And it doesn't take very long to get familiar with the sky. I always tell my students that, you know, if you learn about 20 constellations, you really, the sky will become your friend. It'll be familiar to you. And 20 constellations is Nothing. You know more streets than that in your own neighborhood, so you can learn it in an hour or two, and a lot of these apps will help you do that. Um, there's quite a number of them, and most of them are all very good, so I definitely recommend having an app where you just hold your iPhone up to the sky, and it tells you what you're looking at. Beyond that, there's all kinds of little educational apps. NASA has some that are available for free, and uh, those, I think, you just go where your interests lie, and um Try to build on your interest and get excited. But once you get inspired about something, then I'd say go read some books. Read books, study books, and start to really see how incredibly fascinating all this material can be.
0: Dr. Bennett, where do you see the future of this? I mean, right now we don't have any more space shuttles going up. And I know recently we just had a few um, incidences where we were trying to – where we had some – I don't even know what the right word is, but we had some explosions, right? Right. Where is the future of all of this going? I mean, do you ever see the, the another shuttle type mission coming up? Are we going privatized on this? Where can students look up to for the next 20, 30, 40 years?
1: You know, it's difficult to say for sure how things will unfold, because what we're really dealing with here is is a budgetary problem. You know, you hear about a couple of these accidents happening, one with a death involved, Spaceship Two, which is very, very tragic. But you also can go back and look at the early history of aviation, and you find lots of the same kinds of things, and yet today we have tens of thousands of airplanes taking off every single day, and accidents are incredibly rare. So if we keep pressing, the future for space travel will be the same way. It will be safe. It will be relatively inexpensive so that many people can afford it. But to get there is the hard part. Right now, the federal government, unfortunately, has not seen fit to invest in this very much. The budget for NASA is much, much smaller in constant dollars than it was 30, 40 years ago. I think that's a big mistake because we know that investments in the space program return a great deal to the economy just directly from their technological spinoffs. But I think even more so in inspiration, if you ask any scientist or engineer of my generation what got them inspired, it was Apollo and the space program. And so by investing more in that today, we'll get a lot more kids interested in these areas, and that will improve our economy many, many fold over what would happen otherwise. So I think we need to do that somehow. I think we will. And the future is that uh, you know one of the kids who's in your elementary or middle school classes today is going to be the first person to walk on Mars because that's going to happen.
0: Would you ever want to get into a craft and deliver your own book to the International Space Station? Um, I think that would be a lot of fun. Very cool.
1: Doctor, Especially if I could bring the dog. <laughs>
0: <laughs> How is the dog doing?
1: Uh, well, we have a new puppy. Um, he, he's kind of our third, he's our third Rottweiler now. So he's not in any of the books yet, but I, I'll probably send him to Saturn or someplace <laughs> like that. Very, very cool. Dr. Bennett, where can we learn more about you? On my personal website is JeffreyBennett.com, jeffreybennet com, And the Big Kid Science website is BigKidScience.com. Nice. Thank you
0: so much for your time today, and good luck with everything. And I hope, uh, hope all goes well for Max up there at the space station.
1: Thank you very much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Thank you.
0: Well, my friends, that wraps up the 110th TeacherCast podcast. I want to thank again our friends, Dr. Jeffrey Bennett, for coming on and teaching us a lot about science, STEM education, and some of the things that you can do with the International Space Station. There's, of course, many ways that you can check out our show weekly and connect with TeacherCast. You can, of course, find us online at TeacherCast.net. Leave us a voicemail at TeacherCast.net slash voicemail. Email us feedback at TeacherCast.net And, of course, we love it when you subscribe to our channels at TeacherCast.net slash iTunes and TeacherCast.net slash YouTube. And when you're over there, we love it when you take the time out of your day to leave us a great review and a five-star rating. We love it when we get reviews and ratings, and so does iTunes. My name is Jeff Bradbury. Thank you so much for joining me on TeacherCast Programming. You can, of course, check out us live on TeacherCast.tv every single Sunday night when we bring you the best in educational programming at 7 o'clock on the Tech Educator Podcast. Until next time, keep up the great work in your classrooms and continue sharing your passions with your students.